and head and sing in the choir if you wish tonight. Start off with a couple of thank yous that we got. Uh, for your kind, thoughtful expressions of sympathy and is deeply appreciated and grateful acknowledgement. First Free Will Baptist Church family, we thank you so very much for your love and support during and after Chuck's illness. The family dinners are so good and greatly appreciated. Much love, Ron, Rhonda, Rob, and Evan. Thank you so, many thanks. Thank you so much for the beautiful potted plant. It will be, it will remind me of mom and the blessing she was to me and her family. She'll be greatly missed, but I know she is united with all that have gone on before her. God bless Dana Robertson Stafford family. This is from uh, Sister uh, Robertson's family. Do remember that. And so thank the Lord for that. We'll have those posted on the board. You can read those out there. Uh, Sister Faye Robertson, Sister Rhonda. Remember that. Any other spoken requests this evening? Or any spoken requests? So, um, Sister Gail's back's bothering her pretty bad, so remember her. And then uh, Sister Donna Arnold's cousin that we've been pray praying for, she has COVID. Remember her. I just got those texts uh, passed on to me from Sister Paige. So remember that in your prayers as well. Remember... Uh, Bill McAfee in your prayers, lift him up. Sister Donna Faye, Brother uh, Don, uh, continue praying for them. Brother Don for treatments. Uh, remember that. Any others? Unspoken. Remember that. Continue to remember Sister Sandy's mom in your prayers as well. Stand with us this evening. We'll go, Lord, in prayer, get into our service. Brother Johnny, will you open us in prayer, Lord? Seated. 
uh, go ahead and grab your blue book this evening. Let's turn to page 277. Turn to page 338. 
turn to page 255. Actually, uh, 256.
have any specials this week?
hear me, Sister Donna? Brother Don, do you hear me? Barely. Well, I'm going to try this and see if it works. But, uh, you know, I'm glad to know tonight that God knows my name and I didn't even have to introduce myself. You ever think about sometimes we uh, go through life and uh, we show up at places and People will sometimes they introduce some, but they don't introduce everybody. And then you run into somebody, and they say, "Well, now what's your name?" God never is going to ask me what my name is. He knows my name, and I'm glad this evening to know that He knows my name. If you got your Bibles, go with us over to the book of First Kings, chapter 17. We talked this morning about the message that we had anticipated doing, but we didn't do, so tonight, uh, with the Lord's help, we will do Elijah and the widow's uh, son. Uh, we'll read there, but if you would stand with us as we read in the Word of God. I'm going to start in verse 8, but my keys really start up in verse 10, but we'll read verses 8 and 9, go to the Lord in prayer, and then get to verse 10. It said, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidion, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Father, this evening we thank you, Lord, for your love, mercy, and grace, and we thank you, dear God, for allowing us to be in your house tonight. And Father, just ask you, Lord, that you'd help us through the service, dear God. Thank you for the songs that have been sung, the testimony given, dear God. We pray, Lord, tonight that your will would be accomplished in our hearts. Thank you for each and every one here this evening, dear God. And again, we pray, let thy will be done in Jesus' name, and amen, amen. You may be seated tonight. Well, verse 8 and 9 is the introductory to the situation that has come about. And I will read to you tonight in verse 10, and uh, we'll read down through. And the, the message title tonight is From Hopelessness to Hopefulness. I will be honest with you, I, I could have went through the scriptures and found a whole lot more than what I did, but uh, just prayed and asked God to help me with a few of these. And one of these doesn't seem to be a hopeless situation uh, as far as in the mindset of the folks, but in, in the other way, though, uh, it would be this way, but without Jesus, it would be hopeless, but because of Jesus, it's not. So it said in verse 10, so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he had came to the gate of the city, behold, the woman, a widow woman, was there gathering sticks. He called unto her, or called to her, and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And she was going to fetch it. Now understand something here. There is a famine going on in the land. Water is scarce, but nonetheless, water was not her problem. She wasn't so worried about the water, so to say, at this time. But she was going to fetch it, and the Bible says there, he said, I pray thee a little water in the vessel that I may drink it. And she was going to fetch it. He called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. But a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruse, 
And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go and dress it for me and my son that we may eat and die. You understand tonight that she had a hopeless situation. There was water there, and we know this, that, you know, you can live longer without food than you can without water. She was thinking about the water might, might last a little while longer, but the food was going to be gone. And she had a hopeless situation in this counter here. And I know tonight that you and I could think about a lot of times in our lives when we might have felt like we had a hopeless situation on our hands. And I don't know about you tonight, but I would have to think that this is maybe a little further on than what we comprehend because as I was saying this morning, talking about how that my desire was always that I might uh, uh, be better off than what my parents were. And, and here's this situation. Here is a parent who's dressing a little bit of a meal and a little oil, and her and her son are going to die. That's got to be a hopeless situation, in my opinion. I don't know how you would look at it. Maybe you'd think, well, maybe she's hoping a little something else will grow. It's a famine in the land. There's a drought going on, and she's fixing to die. Not just her, though, her son. Can you imagine, and I've said this before, you know, as a, as a parent, when your children get hurt, you hurt with your children. And so I, I think about it this way. When my child got hurt, uh, uh, you know, it bothered me. And, and so now my child's child gets hurt. It bothers the child. It bothers the parent. And then it bothers the grandparent. We bother that more than the parent is. We see them both hurting. And we're going through it. But she's looking at a situation that's hopeless. Absolutely nothing else here to do. And then he goes on and says this. Starting in verse 13. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do thou that do as thou hast said, but make me therefore a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and thy son. Now I will just say this, it doesn't seem possible that she should be able to make three cakes when she just thought she was going to make a cake and die. But he said this, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the course of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to, now look at this very carefully here, church, the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, Neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which was spake by Elijah. Now, church, therein lies a great big difference. And I will say this, had, had, had it just been any man show up and demanded his rights as a man to be head or home or first or however it is and, and told her, hey, you go make me first and when you make me first, I don't care what happens to you because I'll tell you something, that's the mindset of a lot of people in this world today. Me first and whatever happens to you happens to you. They'll, they'll cheat, kill, steal, and destroy, so to say, to get what they want and they don't care what happens to the little guy, so to say, or the person who couldn't get there faster. I mean, after all, we would say it this way, the first one there gets it, right? How many have ever said that before? First come, first serve, right? And the problem is on that, sometimes the first one there eats more than they ought to, drinks more than they ought to, and nobody else gets anything else. 
But in this aspect, it wasn't Elijah telling this woman uh, to go and make me mine because I'm a man and I should be first. He's the man of God telling her in her faith there to exercise her faith in the word of God. And in so doing, God has a promise. She went from hopeless to hopeful. And she didn't fail. She did exactly what God told Elijah to tell her to do. And she did it according to the word of the Lord that was given by the prophet Elijah. Church, that tells us we ought to be looking at our Bibles a little closer to realize the problems that we have in life are not hopeless. But they're hopeful. Remember, the Bible says that if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. So we would be in a hopeless situation if all we thought about was this, that Jesus is going to get me through this life, but the afterlife, who knows? I'm going to tell you something. If he ain't with me through this life, the afterlife ain't got no help. But there's hopeful. In the book of Daniel, in the third chapter, and this is the one I was thinking about this evening. You know, it doesn't seem like we should be looking at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and saying, you know what, they're, they're kind of hopeless. They're not really hopeless, but, but just look at what we're talking about this evening. Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image. We all know the story. There's nothing here that's going to surprise any of us, but I, I want you to think about this. Everybody looking around at what's going on. Now remember this, in that whenever the music sounded, everybody was to fall down and worship the golden image, and so... As we think, or we appear to think, according to the scripture here, we don't get any contrariness to it, but but somebody may have been down, but their head was up. Because when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not fall down to worship, there was some tattletellers right there to say, hey, they didn't do it. And understand this. The decree was this, either do it or die. It's a hopeless situation. In a Christian's eyes, you and I could look at it tonight and say, well, there's, there's no choice then. Either I'm going to die or I'm going to defy God. I'm either, I mean, what, what's the decision to be made there? Well, listen, there's a decision to be made every time. Do what thus saith the word of God and what thus does the will of God and let God take care of the results. I mean, after all, there is no hope in this life without Christ. God has to have his hands on the result page or there's nothing going to happen there that's any good for you and I. So here's the story. It said there and, and they fell down, but they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. And we pick it up in verse 19. It says, Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury. Why? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not falling down. They're not worshiping. They've already told him we ain't going to do it. And the form of his vestures was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. In other words, get it hotter than it's ever been before. He commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats in their hoses, in their hats, and in their garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Now think about this. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, 
the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew the men, those men that took Shadrach, uh, took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can I ask you a question? If you just had the mindset that they didn't bow and they're going to defy the king, maybe as a Christian or maybe as a, ch a child of uh, an Israelite, a Jew, maybe if there's another time, I'm not going to do it. I mean, they stood up and did not do it. And, and you know what? I think maybe I will. And then they find out that they're going to be thrown literally into the furnace. It's, it's not a, a chance thing. It's not a warning. It's going to happen. He's mad. And then you see the two of the mightiest men, or however many it was, the mightiest men that were there bound them, bound them up and threw them in. Those guys died on the way. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a chance if you'd have been standing in that crowd? I'm sure everybody thought they was dead. It was a hopeless situation. The mighty men are dead, and they didn't even go into there. They were just dead because of the heat that was there when they got close enough to throw them in there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's got to be dead. We know that they're not dead, by the way. We've read the story. We understand the plot. We see what's happening there. But I'm just telling you, for those that are witnessing what's going on, at this point, hopelessness is all they got. I wonder when the king starts to look over there if maybe he's re-guessing his end game. Because think about it this way. He had been brought into loving favor with these men. And now he's not. He's mad. He's upset. These were guys that had been promoting and doing things right, and, and now he's there. And the Bible goes on to say there, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and, the four, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And I'm telling you tonight, church, the situation that seemed to be hopeless was become hopeful. And if you stop to think about it tonight, when the king is looking down there, he sees what's going on. I, I don't know. There might have been some others out in the crowd somewhere uh, who, when they seen what was happening here, maybe they loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they thought, surely they're dead. The, the, the men throwing them in is dead. They're dead. And now the king is saying, wait a second, I see four men. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. But he says they are loose. There's no harm. There's nothing there. All of a sudden, I'm here to tell you something, church. There might have been an opportunity of revival to break out there. If it had been a bunch of free will Baptists there, we might have actually started saying, Hallelujah, we can escape this and get through this. You know, we get defeated so easily as Christians sometimes. It's amazing to me how soon we'll give up. But when the king saw what he saw, I'm just telling you, there had to be some folks in the crowd whose hopelessness turned to hopefulness. Amen. The only reason I say that is because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were always hopeful that God would deliver them. And you and I tonight are sitting here, we're thinking, that's, that's true. It changed the course of time at that time for a little while. 
things were made different. Nobody can do anything but to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Think about it. Verse 28. Jump over to the book of Mark in the New Testament. I got just a few passages here this evening, but, but just look at a few guys here who might have had the same situation. Mark chapter 10. Excuse me. Verse 46. Now I'm tell you something about blind Bartimaeus. We all know the story about blind Bartimaeus. I don't know how long he's blind. I mean, the Bible doesn't give his age or nothing like that. But let's look at it. So they came to Jericho. And he was went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the way, the highway side begging. Now, he had a hopeless situation in that he was blind. But I wonder, though, if somewhere, someplace in his life, he was hopeful. Now, you think about this. Because if something happens to him, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Now, he obviously had an understanding of who Jesus is. I mean, there had to be something inside of his heart even that gave him a, a relationship, in my opinion, there. Although he's a beggar, he's got a hopeless situation, he's blind, I mean, if you think about where we are today and where they were then, a person with a disability then was basically left either to die on their own or maybe they had somebody who loved them enough or cared enough uh, to pick them up and take them somewhere where they could beg. But the fact of the matter is this. Today, we got all kinds of jobs that blind people can do. We've got technology that helps them out do these jobs. But blind Bartimaeus is begging on the way. But I think inside of him is some hopefulness because he's hoping that someday his situation is going to change. And this was the day of opportunity in his eyes. Now, I'll ask you a question. How many people around him were hopeful and how many of them were hopeless? He said when he heard that it was Jesus, he began to cry out and say, nobody else did it, he did it. None of his family did it, he did it. Nobody was taking him. I mean, think about the guy who was lame and laid up in the bed. At least he had four friends who cared enough not only to get him to where Jesus was, but to get him there in front of Jesus by tearing off the roof of the house and letting him down inside there. But blind Barmaeus didn't have that. He had naysayers around him. Think about it for a second. And many charged that he should hold his peace. Remember what I said this morning? Nobody ever says to anybody, you've got enough of the world, quit getting more of the world. Even in the church today, we're, we're telling people, hey, get it while you can. Get it while you're young. I mean, do it while you can. And all this, never saying, hey, wait, hold up. Don't let that interfere with your relationship with God. I mean, after all, that's what we've got to be more mindful of, right? Be honest with your church. I've often said, give me $2 million and I'll, I'll retire and go full-time pastoring. 
and the church will not have need of anything. I mean, that, that's it. My wife says, but God knows whether or not you do what you need to do with the rest of it. And you think about that. A lot of times we start off with good intentions. We're hopeful. We think we got this. But God understands that there are things that are hopeless in some people's lives. Other people look at people's lives and say, well, you're hopeless. I mean, after all, it's like this. Nobody says you'll have more if you serve God. And I say this in, in, a ret in just rhetoric. But, but people don't say you'll have more if you serve God better than you will if you serve the world better. But it's true. If you will serve God and follow God, you will have more than if you serve the world and follow the world. I'm just here to tell you, it may not be calculated in the things of earthliness, but it will be calculated in the things of heaven. Jesus wouldn't have told us to lay up treasures in heaven where nothing can get in there and bother it if he meant that it was going to be messed up. He told us the things down here were going to be in trouble, but the things up there were not. So those around him, many around him, many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he's hopeful. But he cried the more a great deal. Do, do you understand something? In verse 47, it says he began to cry out. And I don't understand this, but blind Bartimaeus is in this situation. He's blind again, but there's had to be some hopefulness in him. Other people give it up. Don't think about it. And then even get to the point to where people there who haven't obviously understand who Jesus is, and now they're telling him, hey, be quiet. They're thinking his situation is hopeless or either this. They don't want him to bother the master because they want something But his hope just rises a little higher because he doesn't get quiet. And instead it says this, but he cried the more a great deal. <laughs> hush up, hush up. I'll just get louder. The, loud, the more you tell me to hush, the louder I'm going to. Why? Because he wants Jesus to hear him over the hushes. He, he wants Jesus. Hey, they're, they're getting louder probably. Say, hush, hush. You, you know, just think about it. And yet he's going, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to be heard. Hey, Jesus, if you don't hear anybody, hear me. He's hopeful. He's hopeful. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man. I, I, I don't know, but I'm thinking every step he gets close, he's getting more hopeful. Be of good cheer. Or be a good comfort. Rise, he calleth thee. While everybody else was saying, hush up, he's saying, help me up. And he, and he casting away his garments, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. I'm just here to tell you something this evening. He was hopeful and he was faithful. Just like the woman at the, with, the, with the sticks. 
the widow and her son. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In, in the hopeless situation, there become hope. And it was all about God. It's about Jesus. It's in this that they stood. They were then faithful. And their faithfulness turned their hopelessness into hopefulness. Luke chapter 17. I think I'll just stop three more with this one here. Well, this one and two more. Luke chapter 17. Verse 11. Ten lepers. It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria unto, and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. I want to tell you something here tonight, church. For a leper, in this day and age, it was hopeless. Let's be honest about it. They were restricted to certain areas. If somebody got too close, they had to shout out, unclean, unclean. If they went somewhere... And, 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 I, and I, the reason why nobody wanted them around is because if they went somewhere and did something, there was a time of purification that you couldn't go in there after them. And by the way, i just tell you this. If it was up to, think about it this way, if it was in that way today, in some aspect, in other words, whoever got there first uh, kept the others out and they had to stay off and wait till it was opportunity to go. And when the opportunity presented itself to go, they had to go. And the next thing you know, everybody else had to wait. They're in a hopeless situation. It's that simple. And they, he's entering into the village. And these men, the Bible says, stood afar off. They're not even approaching. Hey, here's Jesus. Here's the man who we've heard about who's healed a lot of other people, but we can't even get close to him. We can't approach him. They're standing a far way off, but what do they got? They got a hopefulness now in their lives because when they see Jesus, they begin to call out with a loud voice. And they lifted up their voices. Can I tell you something? That meant they were also in unison. Now, I'm not saying they all were saying it together at the same time. Jesus, they might have been Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It might have been ten different times, but they were in unison in this, that they saw the man they needed to get the attention of. And they lifted up their voices, and they were crying out. They were caught. Hey, they'd gone from a hopeless situation, doomed and outcast, and all this going on in life, and they can't even do the things they like to do because it's, they're unclean and they're unfit and they're looked down upon and, and nobody loves them. They had to be buried in a different place. I mean, it was all kinds of things going on. But now they see Jesus, and all of a sudden, their hopelessness was turned into hopefulness. And they cried with a loud voice. Church, do we not see the evidence of God at times in our lives and around us? And instead of being loud and, and calling out to Jesus and crying out for help and asking God to intercede, what happens to us? We just sit back and watch with astonishment that God would dare even do it. We 
ought to be different. We ought to show up with hopefulness. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show thyself unto thy priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. We understand the rest of it. But I want you to think about something tonight, church. When the Master speaks, hope comes into reality. You think about that for just a second. Because it doesn't say there that any of them argued. It's kind of like when Naaman was told to go dip himself seven times in Jordan. He said, there's a lot cleaner waters than Jordan somewhere around here. Hey, why don't you come out here and just wave your hand over me? Uh, do something miraculous there. And the servant gets on to him and tells him, hey, if he'd have told you to do X, you'd have done it. Go down and dip yourself seven times in Jordan there. And, and it's just like this. He calls for the man of God. He wants the man of God to come out and do it. He's hopeless in his leprosy. He's, he's there, but, but there's, there's an opportunity. And so he gets a little hope. And when he doesn't get the answer, he wants. He doesn't get the response he wants. He kind of falls back into hopelessness and he gets all mad about it. But listen to me. I think every time he dipped, he got a little more hopeful. Church, every time we see God move, we ought to be more hopeful. I mean, it's really in this atmosphere attitude that we should have. There's a lot of people who are hopeless because they don't have a relationship. There's no, and it's not going to change. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And I'm here to tell you the church will die sitting in its pew instead of getting on its knees before God. We will not grow if we just sit back and watch God do something somewhere else and never think it'll happen here. Or if we just sit back and when God does show up, never respond to God. They turn and go. They're on their way. There's ten of them, and now they're cleansed. We, we know the rest of the story, though, right? There's only one turns back to worship. Jesus says, where are the nine? Were there not ten cleansed? Is there just this stranger to come back? You know what? That's the story of our lives. A whole lot of people see something good, and even something good happens to them, and they just turn and go on. Never returning back to the master. Never turning back. Something takes transpires in their life. But look at what he said. While they were healed of their leprosy, he was healed of his sinfulness. <laughs> There's a big difference there, church. In verse 18, he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. He's not just healed, he's whole. Yeah. Now think about it for a minute. There, there's more than what we know a lot of times going on. In John chapter 8, verse 1, and we'll, we'll look at this one real quick. It says this, John chapter 8, verse 1, this is the woman caught in adultery. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him. He sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, which I'm going to tell you something right here. These are two-faced cowards. The reason the Bible says Master here, capitalized, is not because they believed he was Master, but because he was Master. 
The Bible got it right. They had it wrong. They were just going to trick him up, mess him up. They were set out against him to destroy him. But, but the Bible got it right. God got it right. They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken into adultery in the very act. How did they know whose house she was in? Can I ask you that question? They had to know the man who was with the woman. Matter of fact, they knew him well enough to leave him alone and bring her out. They liked him and hated her. I, I don't know how else you can put it, church. I mean, after all, if you're going to call into the law of Moses and bring this into play, everybody's guilty. Especially if you're caught in the act of But not to them. This is that one spot again where I was talking about how that the man thought he was more than what he is. But look what he says going on. Now Moses, and again, she's hopeless now. They're bringing out the law. They've got out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. May every word be established. I mean, judgment's got to be pronounced. I mean, it's right there. There's, there's a group on there. She's caught in the very act of adultery. She's an adulteress in the act of adultery. We're here. The law of Moses says she must die. She is hopeless. She's condemned. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have accused to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground as though he heard them not. And I'm going to tell you something today. I don't care who your pastor is who the Bible scholar is, whether he can read Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and everything else in between, he don't know what Jesus wrote, and neither do I. But he wrote something. He might have drawn a stick figure. I don't know. But the Bible says he wrote. So there had to be some words written in dirt. Do you not think that those men gathered around him was looking at what he was writing? I'll tell you something for just a second. Whatever he wrote was powerful. But the woman who's hopeless obviously at this time is sorrowful while these men are proud and arrogant. Her, her, her is this, in this situation. She is, she, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but, but I, in my mind's eyes, she's not looking at Jesus saying, well, what are you going to do about it? But they are. Their pride and their arrogance has got Jesus, and they're saying, what are you going to do about it? And she's bowed, she's humbled. I don't know, she might be curled up in a ball, but some way, somehow, she's caught in sorrow right now. Maybe sorry at this point she got caught. But a sorrow that leadeth to repentance. She's breaking right now. They're not breaking. They're ready to stone Now look at it. 
He wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Maybe he was listening to the woman. I don't know. But he wasn't listening to the men. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a, or cast a stone at her. Now, now here's something else. I want you to think about this. Look at verse 8. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now Jesus has the right, if anybody has the right, he has the right to look them in the eye. You know, Joe's saying, I dare you. I dare you. But that's not what he does. And instead of daring them and looking them in the eye and challenge their authority and challenge their character there, instead of being arrogant enough to stand up and, not, and just think about it, he, he had the right, but he wasn't, he didn't display arrogance and go, you throw the stone, you without sin throw the stones, and I dare you, we would be like that, we'd go, go ahead. It's not him. You understand why they're in a hopeless situation now? The woman's in a hopeful situation now. Things has changed. First, the attention was on her. She's the adulteress caught in the very act of adultery. She is hopeless. They're hopeful, not in a spiritual way. They're hopeful that they'll catch Jesus and get them both. But Jesus is merciful. He's loving. He's, he's ready to present hope in a hopeless situation. And so now he says to them, you without sin cast the first stone. He stoops down. Now they are the ones without hope. He's the one who's presenting hopefulness to the woman who's now hopeful because they are hopeless. How do you know, Brother Arnie? We'll look at verse 9. And when they heard it, they began, they, they, being, they excuse me, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. Now think about it for just a second. Then came calling him master. She ends up calling him Lord. You say, Brother Arnie, that's just the way the Bible's written. No, listen to me. God writes things so that we can see the picture painted. It's not a mystery any longer. She, she understands that Jesus was not going to have her stone. There was now a hopeful situation for her. Something was changing and going on. And, and, and now, and Jesus is not saying, hey, listen to me. I know you're guilty. I know they should have stoned you. But I, I didn't want them to get away with it. He just looks at her and says, where are thine thy accusers? Are there no men? I mean, after all, it was the men who could do it, right? She said unto him, or said, No man, Lord. 
And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Do you not know that he knew it was in her heart? Remember what I said. To start off, she is hopeless. She's condemned. She's caught. She's guilty. She's going to die according to the law of Moses. But as the time and things go on, her situation changes. And now they're hopeless. She's hopeful. And Jesus is forgiving her. From hopelessness to hopefulness. What a change. What an opportunity. In my last space tonight, John chapter 5. Verse 1, after this there were, was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep's market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folks, a blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water stepped in and it was and then was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had been in an infirmity 38 years. Now we already got an idea here. The Bible doesn't say he's 38 years old. He's been sick for 38 years. Now, now that, that leaves a preacher a lot of room to work with, just to be honest, if you want to build around it. But I, I won't do that, but I want you to understand, it does not say he's 38 years old. It says that he's been this way for 38 years. And he's been here at the pool, and I don't know how many years he's there, but here's the deal. It's, the, it's this one thing that we were talking about earlier, first come, first serve, right? But here's the greater deal. This man is hopeful to a point because the pool is right there, but he's hopeless in another point because nobody wants to help him. They all focus in on somebody else. Here's what he said. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And I will say this. The Bible talks about preferring one above the other. I'll be honest with you, all right? If I got a broken arm, and you got a broken pinky, let me go first. Now just think about it for a second. The most of the, and, and, and I guess maybe, maybe the water would have been troubled a little better or a little more. I don't know how often, but, but think about it this way. If they were preferring one another above, above the other, they would look around and say, who's the sickest among us? Let's get them in. But no, they were saying, I can get there faster than you can, so I'm getting there first. And so the guy with the pinky outrun the guy with the broken leg. That's how it worked. Greed come into play. And after all, who does not want to be healed of being pain, right? I mean, be honest with you tonight. 
But on the same hand, it's like this. If we would serve and help, maybe things would be different. We would be bringing a lot of hopeless people to a hopeful situation. There's no man to help me. But while I'm going, somebody else gets there ahead of me. I don't even know how far off from the pool they were. Seemed to me like I'd be sitting right at water's edge waiting just roll over in it. I mean, that's right. Just think about it, church. But somehow, some way, people have got to present hopefulness to people who are hopeless. You and I, you understand? First off, follow the word of God. Elijah, the widow, and her son. God told Elijah, I've got a widow woman to sustain me. Elijah told the widow woman, as long as you do it according to God's will, the barrel's not going to waste, the oil's not going to dry up. I mean, it's going to work. And she did it, and that's exactly what happened. God got put first. Little is much if God is in it, right? But you got to be obedient to it. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, everybody else is going to fall down. It's a hopeless situation. We're going to die for it. But in the midst of this, when they stood up, they presented hope to others. It's that simple. Blind Bartimaeus was told to hush. Don't get carried away now. Just, just keep it on the down low. He said, somebody's going to, hey, I'm going to get Jesus' attention. If none of you are going to, I'm going to do it anyway. So go ahead. By the way, God likes to be bothered. Think about it. Seek and you shall find. Ask and she shall receive. Knock and it shall be open unto you. God likes to bother, be bothered. Call on me while I am near. God likes to be bothered. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are labored and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He likes to be bothered. All who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. He likes to be bothered. Hey, church, listen to me. He wants the hopelessness because he can give them hope in it. In verse 8, it says, Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And I, I will say this. The message that we get from God, if we really have faith in the word, we'll rise up and take hold of it. The reason it seems hopeless is because nobody exercised their hopefulness. Faith without works is dead. James said it. It's the truth. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, I, I don't know what you, 
Think about this for a second, though. Faith without works is dead. It's dead. What's dead faith? It's no faith. I believe with all my heart, and I just, you know, I, I, I don't have it, but let, let's just say I had a, 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 a seed, a corn seed or something here, and, and my, favorite, my favorite vegetable is okra, okay? Don't bring me a bunch of okra. We can't eat it as fast as people bring it to me. But my favorite vegetable, if it's a vegetable or fruit because it's got a seed, I don't know, is okra. But if I take that okra seed and I put it right here on the corner of this desk, which, by the way, has no dirt, no fertilizer, no water, it gets no sunlight, artificial light, but no sunlight, gets no rain, and I expect that to produce a okra plant so that I can harvest some okra and eat it, it ain't going to do it. That's dead faith. It's there, but it's not accomplishing anything because it's not doing anything. But faith with works. Now I got me an okra seed. I'm going to find me, if nothing else, I'm going to find me a plant pot, a pot, a pot to plant it in. I'm going to put it in some soil. I'm going to give it some miracle growth. I'm going to give it some water. I'm going to put it in the sunlight because okra loves sunlight. It likes the heat of the day. I mean, it grows in the summertime. It don't grow in the winter. It grows in the summertime. And when I do that and I nurture it and I'm taking care of it, I'm doing the thing. It's going to produce me small. I've exercised my faith. I took a hopeless seed, planted in hopefulness, and now I'm watching it grow. We're the hopefulness of a hopeless world. And, and I'll be honest with you tonight. I, I, until people's hearts are changed, and like I said this morning, until they quit coming to church and the church gets in them, until they quit showing up and really start getting what God has given, things are not going to change. It's not going to get any different. But for you and I who are here, and for those of us who do have this hopefulness, and we understand what the Word of God is saying, we need to be exercising our faith. And by the way, we got to look out across, just like Jesus said, the harvest is wide and ready. There is somebody out there who wants to get saved. There's somebody out there who wants something to be done in their lives. They're looking for God to work. And it might be you and I are the example. But in order to do that, we've got to be willing to look at somebody worse off than us. And go ahead and say, God, let me do what I can. See, I have hopefulness built in me now. It grows in me. Every time I come to church, I'm hopeful. Something's going to happen. God's going to do something. Somebody's going to get touched somewhere. I, I'm going to get to preach and feel good about, I mean, there's just something that's going to transpire. And I'll be honest with you, church, I think, honestly, truly, we have a lot of good ideas, but we don't put any hopefulness behind them sometimes. There's no action going in there. Wilt thou be made whole? Absolutely, Lord. <laughs> but while 
I'm on my way, somebody gets there ahead of me. I got hope, but I'm discouraged. I just don't got it in me to put much into it. Wilt thou be made whole? Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Look at the next word it says. Immediately. Peter's thinking. Lord, save me immediately. I'm going to preach on that word sometime. Immediately. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Immediately. Something happens when we respond with hopefulness. And immediately the man was made whole. And took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now we know the rest of the story. There's fixing to be an argument going on. And I'm going to tell you something, church. I'll be honest with you. Every time Jesus does something good, there's a naysayer somewhere. Let's just be honest. When the Lord really shows up, there's always somebody. I'm just going to be honest with you tonight. You want to run somebody out of church, run the naysayer out. Who every time Jesus shows up, they got something negative to say. But let's stop running Jesus out. We're living in a hopeless generation. I'll be honest with you. Not that there ain't hopefulness in some of us, but... But this generation does not know God, does not want to know God. By the way, I don't have the results in front of me. And I'll just give you this understanding here. We was listening to a gentleman preach the other day. He was given to statistics for the first time in umpteen years, however it was. But, but here, here's, here's a sad statistic. And it only took five years to get from 60% to 40%. Only 40% of what they call evangelical Christians today really believe in God. Think about this for a second. That's pretty astounding, right? Only 20% of them actually believe there is an inspired, unfallible, true word of God. Only 20% of Christians believe that there is an inspired, unfallible, True word of God. I'm among that 20%. Maybe I got that figure of the 40% wrong. 40% of people today believe in God. I'll get my statistics. But in that only 20% believe that there's a true word of God. That's a lot of hopeless people. I'm going to be honest with you. Because this, is, this word is, is, is my hopefulness. 
why I'm here tonight. This word, it told me that I was a sinner. Plain and simple. Told me that I was doomed going towards hell. Wasn't in hell yet, but headed there. Told me I was an enemy of God. An enemy of the cross. But then it also said, hey, by the way, while you are that, here's what can happen. So this Bible is the message of hope to the hopeless. Tonight I'm hopeful because I was hopeless once. But as that song says, then Jesus came into my heart. It changed me. Every person that I've talked to you tonight, every situation I've gave you tonight, in some aspect had hopelessness in it. But every one of them, by the will of God, by the word of God, by the faith in God, showed us the hopeful situation. And, and you say, Brother Ernie, then they're not hopeful, they're, they're, they're changed. Don't listen to me carefully. I'm not saying that wasn't done. I'm just saying we went from hopeless to hopeful. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I care not trust, dare not trust in worldly fame, but wholly lean upon his name. I mean, I, I can't get all those out right, but I'm just telling you tonight, I went from hopeless to hopeful. And this Bible is to the hopeless people with a hopeful message. And if you receive it, your life will be different. And when your life is different, you'll be different. Just think about what would happen if people really got a hold of the Word of God and the Word of God really got a hold of people. Would you stand this evening? Father, thanking you tonight for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Thanking you tonight, dear God, for the many blessings you give us, Lord. Father, for the opportunity, Lord, to be in your house tonight. For the opportunity, Father, to read thy word, to hear, and to understand, dear God. Knowing tonight that you can do things that none of us imagine. It's, it's told. Lord, we pray tonight that your will be accomplished in our lives. We pray for those unable to be with us. We pray for those who choose not to be. Pray, Father, for those who are lost, undone, and don't care. Lord, tonight I pray, Father, help us to present the message of hope to a lost and dying world who without you, Father, is hopeless. Lord, we ask you, Father, these things in Christ's name. In his name we pray. Amen. Anything on anybody's heart?